0: This question about suffering, I we're going to do one question today, because this question is actually asked in a lot of different ways, many different ways, okay? And some of these were asked on the uh, I want to believe but.com website. Some of them are people who have just talked to us here recently. Uh, give me that next slide uh, the, the many questions. You know, if God is all knowing and all loving, why does he allow suffering? Boom. That's the one that you probably hear the most, especially with people outside of the church, people who are really struggling with trying to believe in God. God's all loving, God's all, no, then why? God's all powerful, then why? Uh, Why does God allow pain? Why does he heal some people and not others? Why does he allow children to suffer? What about terminal illness? How do you reconcile the idea of us being the temple of God, yet we get sick? Why would God create someone he knew would suffer? How can you have joy in your salvation when daily life is such a struggle? And what about people who are disabled? All of these are good questions, but I believe fully believe one of the problems we have with understanding and getting, getting beyond this is we're asking the wrong questions, but let's try to approach some of these. Okay. Let's start with that last one. What about the question about disabled, you know, that kind of thing. Let's, let's start there. And, uh, you may have heard of this lady, Helen Keller, and, uh, just we'll talk about her just a little bit here, you know, because, uh, she's someone that, that we all see this, we, we've got this picture of her, uh, the disabled lady, you know, in some ways. We, we've got those pictures, you may have seen, there's been several movies out, uh, of course her biography was written, she died about 25 or maybe a little bit more than that years ago, and, and so you may know a lot of her story, but when she, was, when she was an infant, she had a childhood illness that they weren't sure, still not sure exactly what it was she had, but it caused her to go deaf, it caused her to go blind, and so we look at her and say, this was a lady that was disabled. But then when we look at the rest of the story, uh, right here. She was author of 12 published books, plus many, many articles. Uh, she was a first deaf, blind, deaf and blind person to ever graduate from college with a bachelor's degree. The very first one, international speaker and lecturer, she was sought after uh, all across the world. She was a recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, uh, inducted in the National Women's Hall of Fame. There are streets in at least six countries across the world that bear her name. They, at least six countries have, have named a, a street somewhere in their country uh, for her. But here's the thing, was she disabled? Because when I look at this screen, I say, I don't see disabled. I see someone who was enabled. Because if you think about it, it was, it was what she had hit her in life, the circumstances that she had in life, the things that were, you know, the impediments, the, uh, the, the, the detours, you know, the, the things that got in her way, the, the, the struggles, those were the things that enabled her. She refused. And, and listen, here's a big deal. She refused to be defined by what had happened to her, but she was defined now, I mean, she's defined by what she did with what happened to her. You know, she, she was not disabled, she was enabled, she was empowered, and if you ask her later in life, she wouldn't have backed up and changed. She wouldn't have said, I, I wish I had had sight or I wish I had had de- uh, had been able to hear that I wasn't deaf. She would not have been able to say that because everything about her. I mean, if she had not had what we call the disability, you and I, we wouldn't even know who Helen Keller was. We'd have never heard her name. We'd have never, and, and the people today, a lot of the people who are deaf or blind, I mean, they are blessed because of the things that she accomplished in her life. Uh, I, I think, I think. Uh, 80-something years that, that she lives, and, and people are blessed because of that. Here's, here's, here's the thing, another way to kind of look at this, how we sometimes ask the wrong questions, is I think she knew what Warren Weersby wrote in his book, that devotional book that he wrote in 1980. He's written a lot of books, but in 1980, uh, he wrote a devotional book, and he called it The Bumps Are What You Climb On. Okay. Now he begins this book by telling this little, this real short story, man. It's about like half a half paragraph, so let me share it with you. It is a little boy was helping his little sister climb a mountain path, and as they were trying to climb up the path, she said, "This is no path at all. It's all rocky and bumpy." And he said, "The bumps are what you climb on." Now think about that. Think about it. You know, when we think of path. We think of, you know, something real nice and pretty and peaceful and serene. They're like, you know, the walking path around the civic center. You, you ever walk that? You know, and I know some of you run it. I'm not a runner, okay? We were talking the other day. If uh, you see me running, dial nine one one because something bad is happening somewhere, right? You know, I'm not a runner, but I but I, I like I like to walk, and I like to walk in peace. Like you, you go out here and you get to the little bridge, you know, and you're walking through the trees and everything. And it's just so, man, it's so peaceful. It's just relaxing and refreshing and all that. And so that's what we see as a path. So this. Little boy, you know, in Warren Wiersbe's book, you know, this little boy, he's uh, uh, trying to help his sister, and his sister, she's looking for a path like that. But the problem is, they're climbing a mountain, and a little sweet, serene path is not going to get you up a mountain. You know, you could ask Justin. He's, you know, he's the, I guess, the rock climber here, here at 2911, and he'll tell you, man, you got to have some bumps to hang on to. And so the bumps that, that we sometimes, you know, we want to curse in our life, those are the things that that, that help us. I mean, this is, what, this is what Helen Keller did. She turned every impediment, every every detour, everything that was thrown in her way, she turned it into a rock, into a bump that she could hold on to, that she could climb on. And, and so, again, here I think, we ask the wrong questions because we have this limited tunnel vision perspective of things going in and so we're asking the wrong questions. And the question we ask most of the time is why? You know, uh, when we were kids, we asked why a lot, right? Your kids ask why, why? You you tell them and they say, well why? We still do that. I mean, we do it with God. You know, we're here as kids and we're still asking why. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? And that's not really the question that we need to be asking. Why doesn't help us? The question we really need to be asking is how? How do we get beyond this? Or how how is it that we can have strength for this? Helen Keller, when when she began to figure things out, her first question wasn't why. She didn't even know to ask the question. Because, I mean, she was in this, this, this darkened place. I mean, she couldn't hear, she couldn't see, and so she had no idea what was going on around her. And so she couldn't ask the question why because she didn't know she was different than anybody else. Maybe she didn't even realize what the, the things were that were going on around her. When she, and then when she finally, you know, if you've ever seen it depicted, uh, if you've ever read her biography, when 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 you see uh, then her finally figuring out the sign language that she was having to feel with the sign language because she couldn't see it. But she, when she was figuring out the sign language for that word water, the very first word that she got. You know, she was not asking the question, why? She was now beginning to ask the question, how? How is it that I can start doing something with this life? I can start living a life. I mean, yeah, she probably asked the question, why, at some point, but that is not, and is that really the most important question? If you're in the middle of a problem today, is the most important question, why, or is it how? And the, and the thing about it is, we, ask, we want to ask God, why, why, why? And, and the, the great thing is, is, yeah, God's got all those answers, but God also has the answer of how. Of how you're going to make it. Of how you're going to get through. Of how you're going to hang on. And he's provided all of that in his power and in his anointing. He's provided all of that. And so, so get beyond asking that question. Because it's the wrong one, I think, a lot of times. you know, Because in reality, what is normal? Really? What is what is normal? And, and, and you know, and you know, who chose? To, and because doesn't it seem like that the normal people get to decide what normal is? You know, if you're a little abnormal in some area of your life, you're looking over at normal people, and they they're the ones that have tagged you abnormal. You know, if you're weird, you know, it's the non weird people that have tagged you as being weird. Right? Why do the normal people get to decide what normal is? You know, kind of kind of thing, and. You know, who says, it, like, what is normal? Normal here is different from normal there. Just, just like um, uh, there, there are most cultures, I'd probably say today, at least the ones we're aware of, most cultures think that thin is desirable. You know, being thin is desirable. But, you know, there are cultures who say overweight is desirable. Why? Because the norm in their culture, a lot of them, is they don't have enough money. They don't have enough food. And so, to be a little overweight means you must be prosperous. You must have a little extra money than everybody else does. You know you're abnormal, but in a good way. And so, it's it's even considered beautiful in some cultures. And I could go on and on and on. I could give you examples like that after over and over and over. But it's because sometimes we're asking the wrong questions. It's like what 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 is normal, and who gets to decide what normal is, and all those things. in, in your family, I mean, if everybody in your family is short, then being tall is abnormal, right? But if everybody in your family's tall, then being short is abnormal. You know, and you've ever heard it before. You know that God only made a few perfect heads; the rest He covered with hair. You know, I can I can enjoy that and appreciate that, right? So, what's normal if if most of you know in your family most heads are perfect and didn't need a covering? You know, then for somebody's got a full head of hair in your family, they're abnormal. So, you know, what is this normal thing that we get so wrapped up in? You know, what what all what is it? You know. Let me take a scripture, Isaiah chapter 55, verse eight. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know what he's saying here? God is saying, I see things you don't see. I know things you don't know. And I understand things that you will never be able to understand. So you know what, perhaps God is the one who chooses normal, chooses what normal is, and he chooses different for different people. For Helen Keller, her normal, I can't handle her normal, <laughs> you know, but her normal, I mean, look at what she did with her normal. And so the question to me is about, you, know, if, that's, you know, if this is normal, you know, or whatever the world says is normal, I look at people like Helen Keller now, and Stephen Hawking or Beethoven and i say, you know, hey, then who wants to be normal, you know? Some of these people that were were, were called this in life but they became heroes and and they became awesome at at what they were given and turning it around and, and say, well, you know, who wants to just be normal? I mean, hopefully normal is not your goal in life, right? But maybe God, and and I'm not talking about that he he has, you know, right and wrong, that that it changes for everybody. I'm talking about what is normal. Maybe God, what is normal for you is different from what is normal for me. Maybe God is the one who chooses. Maybe maybe it's not us. Okay, so maybe, maybe we need to stop asking why and we need to start asking how. And we need to start thinking about getting beyond. Instead of figuring out the past, we need to start figuring out the future. Here's another question. Well, why doesn't God intervene more often? And, there, and I, I think someone who really wanted to know that answer in the Bible was David. David asked that question. Now here's Psalm 13. The whole chapter's right here, okay? So we'll read this with you, okay? Because you, you'll see what I'm talking about with well, David wanted to know this. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But, but, so, so David had the why question. Where are you, God? Why, why have you left me here like this? Why do I, I, I not have, why did this happen to me and now I'm here? Why did this, all these whys, but, David also had another question. You see, but he gets to this place, and he finds his rock. You know that rock, the bump that you climb on? He finds his rock. It's the thing that when you've got all the why questions and no answers, and, and then he found his rock, and, the, and the, the, the rock was the thing to hang on to. He said, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. David didn't get, you, know, you see, I mean, I'm not saying don't ask the why, but don't get hung up with the why that you never get to the other questions, the how and the who, okay? Because David, he would gotten past just the the why have I ended up like this, and now he was asking, or already answering as well, the how and the, and the who. It's like who knew who his who was. His who, the, the, the rock that, that he had confidence in, that rock that he could hang on to and he could climb the mountain or climb out of the pit or whatever it is that you find yourself in today. That, that rock, that, that bump, you know, he found out who his was and his was Jesus Christ. So he wasn't hung up on the why. Because he always had this. Oh, yes, he would ask the why, 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 and how long, oh, Lord. And, and listen, if you go to the Sunday's page, sermon notes, there are other, I've given you others. We're just going to read this one and one more, but there are others there where, where David asks, why, 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 and so. You get that place, don't, don't, don't feel like you're all alone because we ask. We say, God, why did this have to happen? We ask that, but don't stay there. You got to go beyond that. Here's, a, here's another one, okay? This is Psalm 22, the first two verses. David says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Again, David, cry out. But that first question there, if you're a student of the Bible or you study much, you may recognize that because someone else said that in the Bible. Years later, Jesus quoted that scripture when he was hanging on the cross, feeling like, I mean, his, all of his disciples turned their back and ran. Judas sold him out. Simon Peter denied him. And he finally looks up to heaven and he says, My God, my God, the Son of God, crying out to his father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus could have demanded, get me down off this cross. The night before this, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And, and, and it's like the, the humanity of him, because he came in the flesh, and all he was having to deal with, his humanity was saying, you got to get out of this. There's got to be a way. And he prayed, and he asked God, and he prayed, and he asked God, he prayed, and he asked God, his Father, again, if there's any way to get me out of this, let me get out of this. But Jesus knew something. Jesus knew to be delivered from his suffering on the cross would mean you and I would never be delivered from ours. He knew this was either or. Either he is delivered off the cross in his suffering or you are delivered from your suffering. And it couldn't be both ways. It could either be him or us. And you know, that's why he chose. And so yes, he asked the question. His humanity was asking a question. But his commitment to us answered the question and said it's either me or them. And he chose to do it that way. And you know, sometimes that's the way life is. We want all the possible answers, and we want to write the answers. We want to say, this is what I want. Sometimes we don't get that. Sometimes it's not a fill in the blank. Sometimes it's multiple choice. You can have this or this. You don't get to choose. And when you get to that place, what do you do? Jesus chose the best for us. He put himself back so he could choose the best for us. Because uh, not getting his deliverance from the cross means you and I can have our deliverance from sin and from death. You know, I think part of also what we do is we misunderstand what intervening means. It's because we also see sometimes we see God and we think, uh, you know, our situation and we don't see God. And and so where, where are you, God? Because I think that's a, that's a better question to ask. Instead of why did this happen, and say where are you, God, because... See, this is what Jesus saw hanging on the cross. It was hurting, he was in pain, he was suffering, he was in torment, but he realized God is in the middle of this. Why have you forsaken me, God? But then he realized, God is in the middle of this. Recognize, realize God is in the middle of this. But give me my next slide up there, if you will, Brad. So here's the thing, we either have free choice or we're robots, you see, a lot of times we want it both ways. Jesus knew he couldn't have it both ways, one or the other. We don't get that. We need to get that. A lot of times, we're trying to have our cake and eat it too. But we're either, we either have free choice or God is treating us like robots. He's just moving us around on the chessboard. You know? And we normally want both at different times. You know, most people, we want to call all the shots ourselves. So we want God to give us free choice, let us do our own thing. But then when we get it messed up, what do we do? Now we want God to show up and start moving things around on the chessboard, right? And as soon as things get okay, then we're ready. Okay, right, because that's the thing, right? How far do we want God to go? Because at some point we're gonna say, okay, God, I got it again, back off. We wanna get back to free moral choice. Until we mess it up and then we say, God, show up again. We need you to fix all this. And then he starts fixing it. We get it close up. Like, okay, God, I'm done. I'm ready to get back. It, you can't have it that way. We, we either have free moral choice and God allows us to do that or he's a God who's moving us around on a chessboard. You can't have it both ways because because really who gets to decide, you or me? You know, okay, both of us lose our job, right? The economy gets real bad. Both of us lose our job. And then God starts fixing the economy, okay, moving things around on the chessboard and fixing the economy. And then I get my job back, you know, and say, okay, God, the economy's fine now. I got my job back. You can quit, but you haven't got your job back. And so you're still saying, no, God, you got to keep fixing things. And so God starts fixing some more things in the economy and which changes other things about the economy. And I end up losing my job again. It's like, wait a minute. So who gets to choose? You know, who gets, to, who gets to really choose? Well, let's let the man who said, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. My mine are higher. That I know things that you don't know and I see things you don't see and I understand things that you don't understand. Let's, let's, let's let him, let's let God decide because he understands. I mean, that, that's, really, that's, really the, that's really the answer here. There are the things... Let me, let me take you to a, a little bit of a way to explain this. This is something I, I share with you before, but let me take you back to it. Just last month, we uh, gave over $1,300 to A21, which is fighting human trafficking. Just, let's, let's talk about, let's use that as a backdrop here for just a moment, okay? Human trafficking, you know, where people are kidnapped, children, adults are kidnapped and forced into sex, uh, prostitution, the sex trade or the prostitution of porn, one of those things. And if God were to stop that and we were to have our way, which people would we want God to zap? I mean, lightning out of heaven, zap, just burned to a crisp and gone. Which people? Okay. All right, uh, how about the abusers and the traffickers, the people who are kidnapping people, the people who are abusing them? Would we, you know, if we, if we were to vote today, we probably would have a vote yes. If God's going to zap anybody, these are the people that need to be zapped. I mean, most people would probably vote yes. Zap those people, God. Well, then what about those who profit from the porn? What about those? You know, the, maybe they didn't kidnap the people, but they're profiting from the porn. You know what? Probably still most of us would say yes, yes. Okay, go ahead. You zap them because they're profiting from the porn. But what about those who purchase the porn? No, 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 no. Wait a minute. I know somebody who purchases porn. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now all of a sudden, if we vote, do we want God to zap all of those who purchase pornography? Do we want that? Now there's not quite as many hands going up and saying yes, zap them. But let me give you a fourth one. What about those? Who create the demand for advertising on porn websites by clicking on the links? Because when you click on a link, it gets counted, and that creates more advertising dollars for the people who own the the site, which creates more need to have more people kidnapped or tricked into being in the in in the trade. So do we want we want God? Now wait a minute, preacher. Now you're meddling a little bit. You know, because but with these others, you know, uh, especially those first two classes of people up there, you know, those were nameless, faceless people involved in some kind of organized criminal activity somewhere, you know, I, I don't know those people, but now, no, now preacher, you're talking about people who live on my street or live in my house. And you see, here, here is where, again, we see things differently and we, we want to we judge God because God isn't, you know, zapping the people that are doing the wrong, but here's the reality is we would vote to zap the ones at the top. come on, right? Wouldn't we? And we'd be a lot more gracious with those people at the bottom, yet if the people at the bottom would just quit clicking on the links, the people at the top would go find something else to do to make money because there would be no industry. There were, but, but see, we don't see it that way, do we? Because we see people, and we see faces, and, but, but God is down looking at all of this, and see, see here's, here's, here's the way I think this is working, is, and it's broke, the way we work it, is it's easy to question God from the cheap seats. You know what the cheap seats are? You know the nosebleed section? You know, yesterday there was a practice game down in Tuscaloosa, and a lot of people were there, but most people, probably didn't have, to, nobody had to sit in the cheap seats yesterday, the place wasn't full. You sit in the cheap seats though, I mean, you don't know a whole lot of what's going on. You know what the down is, you know how many yards they got to get to and how much time's left in the game, what the score is, that kind of stuff. And you're seeing people move around, but you're missing, unless you've got good binoculars, you're missing what's really going on. Okay, and I know somebody's saying, okay, you're gonna give a sports analogy, you're gonna lose me. No, I, I think you can get this. Okay, so stick with me here, all right? So the game's going on, all right, and, and you're watching it, your team's on offense, and all of a sudden, you know, all you can really tell is there's a middle linebacker, he, Comes right up the middle. Nobody touches him, and he just creams your quarterback. And so now you're like, ah, you know, I can't believe that lineman let him through, and he didn't block him. And and now you're like wanting to, you know, yelling for them to make him sit down. And maybe people around you are cursing, you know, to sit him down. And hopefully you're not, especially if you're wearing your 11 t-shirt. But you're like saying, hey, you know, he, he's not doing his job. Put him on the bench. Put him on the bench. And the. Thing you don't understand is that maybe the coach was making some adjustments, and so he told that lineman to focus on someone else. But he forgot to make other adjustments, and what he, one of the things he forgot to do was to make an adjustment for for a delayed blitz from the middle linebacker. And it, had to, it was not the lineman's fault, was it? No, it was the coach's fault. Or, or maybe you've got this. You've got this. Uh, you know a Heisman candidate running back, you know that I mean he's running over everybody and today I mean why, why aren't we handing the ball off to him more? I mean he's not even in the game half the time and, and now you're mad at the coaches and everything But maybe you just weren't listening to the radio before the game To hear that the star running backs had the flu all week, and he's only about 75 percent And so the coaches are holding him out hoping to save his strength for the end of the game You see, that's what it is when we begin to question from the cheap seats because we don't know everything going on. And that's what we do with God. That's what we do with God. God has got all of this myriad of layers of human interaction and problems going on in the world that he's having to deal with, and he sees things we don't see. He knows things we don't know, and he understands things we could never understand. And, and so he's having to deal with all of these things, and, and, and for him to just run in and say, oh, I'm gonna fix that, man, he fixed that. This is like a spider web. You can't go and just move, remove one little piece. I mean, you're gonna affect everything else going around, and so this is what God is doing. I mean, he's, he's like that coach that knows things you don't know. He's like that coach that is working on something that you didn't even know was a problem. This is what God is doing. But you know, so, so we sometimes wanna question God and it's like we're doing it from the cheap seats because we don't understand that and, and we need to, need to quit questioning so much of the, why, uh, of the why and start looking more for the how and start looking more for the who. And we don't understand all these things, but let me give you one thing that I do understand, okay? And this is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Because in the middle of all this, when God's seeing all this and God working all this, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So while God God has all this going on and all this he's got to fix and all this he's got to handle, He's doing this with our best interest at heart. That lineman down there, that you know, we're quite, he he doesn't want to lose. You know, the coach who's who's holding the running back, he doesn't want to lose. God doesn't want you to lose. He wants you to win. He's on your side. He's working on everything, and he's doing all of these things with a, such a big picture in mind. Okay, let, let me let me take you one one last little question here and answer this one and. and and maybe it'll tie some of this together. But I mean, we're, we're, we're just talking about suffering and things, just, just kind of the beginnings of this. We're just not gonna get there. And, and, and this last one is, why, why must pain be a part of life? I mean, because that, that's, that's, a big, that's a big question that a lot of us have. I mean, that's, that's part of why we're asking this is about suffering. And so this is, this is the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning of verse seven. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, because things were going really good for Paul, man, he was starting churches, lots of good stuff happening and everything. He says, I was was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. We don't know what it is. I've heard sermons preached on it, people. We don't know what it is, but he was given something to torment him, a thorn in his flesh, a a messenger from Satan. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, does that not sound like how God answers you sometimes? God, hey, I need something. And God is either quiet or if he does answer, it's like, not now, (laughs) right? Anybody besides me? I mean, that's what it feels like. Paul said that too. Three times I asked and all God would tell me was, my grace is sufficient and my strength is gonna be perfected in your weakness. Now, I know most of you are probably sitting here like, well, that doesn't help a whole lot, but look what Paul saw with it, okay? The next, next verse is there. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, I don't expect a lot of us to jump up right now and just start shouting, yes, yes, yes. Most of us are not going to say, Okay, yeah, let's be weak so God can be strong. Let's revel in it. Most of us aren't going to do that. But can just get a little of the message right here, okay? If you can just get just a little bit of the epiphany, this is what Paul realized. This is what Helen Keller realized is is like these things are not the things that are going to destroy me and defeat me and kill me. These are the things, these are the These are the things that God is going to use to perfect me, to grow me. These are the bumps that I'm gonna to use to crawl out of this, this thing that I found myself in, to crawl to the top of the mountain. These are the things, there's purpose here. There's purpose here. And you're not gonna to like to hear this next statement either. God has purpose in the pain. See, didn't get one amen, didn't get one hallelujah, right? No hand claps. God has purpose in the pain. We don't like to hear that. That's not what we came to hear, pastor. That God has purpose in the pain. But you know what, here's, again, we're asking the wrong questions. We're trying to hurry up and get out of this. We want to get on the other side of it. But often, the answer is not on the other side of the pain, Often the answer is right in the middle of your pain. And when you're pushing to get past it and you're pushing to get better and you're pushing and you're pushing and you're pushing to get past it, you you, you might even miss the answer that you've been looking for. Sometimes the answer is right in the middle of the pain. Make sure you get your answer. Because I think a lot of times we have to go back through some more pain because we didn't get the answer the first time. Let, let, me, let me tell you a, a little story, I, I think, that may help kind of pull all this together just a little bit, okay? I hope. When Kristen, our daughter, who, who's our family pastor, she's normally back in kids' church, um, it, she's kind of the fill in if, if anybody's out, you know, and, and also has duties back there, but so you, you might not see her or know her unless you're a parent or grandparent. But when she was three years old, the house we were living in, had like a, a, a sunken den, you know, it was lower than the rest of the house. So it had just a few little steps going down. And she came down the steps one night and uh, she's three years old. You remember, you know, when you're three years old, you're still a little top heavy, your head's still a little big for the rest of your body, right? You know, so she's coming down those steps and she begins to fall and she's falling like this and she falls right into our couch our couch on, on the bottom, which the bottom was it, was, it was on legs, and so the bottom was actually off the floor, but it had this thick piece of wood all around the bottom of it. And as she come down the steps and her head got a head out ahead of her feet, she began to, she fell just like this. I mean, I mean it, was like, it was like you just threw her like a spear into that couch and her head burst wide open and blood, you know, going everywhere. I, I picked her up, ran to the car, ran to the emergency room uh, Deva was there, but Dava doesn't do blood. If there's anybody else around that can do blood, Deva is just grateful to sit in the waiting room and pray with you over the blood. Okay. And she'll plead the blood and everything. that. But you know, she was glad for me to deal with the blood. So I carried her back. You know, they brushed us on back later on, on a, a gurney. And I was so glad that the doctor on call was a lady. And I thought that, 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 that's going to be good for you know, a little Kristen, three years old, you know, a lady, you know, and her kind attitude probably and all of that, you know, and she really was, except for one thing, one thing that was, that was this despicable mean about this lady is she made me Kristen's dad hold her head still while she put 10 stitches in her, in her forehead. I mean, could you, can you imagine how evil could you be to make the dad hold the head? So, I'm standing at the foot, I'm at the head of the bed, you know, and Chris laid out before me, and I'm holding her head, and she is screaming bloody murder. She's three years old. She has no clue what is going on. She does not understand why. Yes, she hears her dad say, We have to do this, but she doesn't understand why. Put a band aid on her or something, right? You know, she doesn't understand why. She doesn't know. And so, I'm holding her head. I'm trying to console her, there's no consoling. Let me up from here. This lady's hurting me, you know? And, it's a, and she's just screaming. She's not saying those words. She's screaming. you know, they're just, she's just crying and screaming. She's warning up. She doesn't understand. I'm holding her head. I'm holding her head there. And, and, and because I know things she doesn't know, I understand what she does not understand. And I am horrified by what is happening before my eyes. But I have to hold that in because I've got to be strong for my little three-year-old daughter. What a picture of God that he sees everything. He sees what you don't see. You think he's not seeing what you see. No, he already sees what you don't see. He knows what you have not yet realized yet. He understands what you may never understand, and he has not gone away from you. He is not departed from you. He is not missing in action. He is right there holding you. Just like I was holding Kristen's head, he is right. He is holding you. He's going through all of that with you. He's not left. He knows what's going on and he knows this is for your good. And if you think for a moment that God is not utterly horrified by the things he sees happening before his eyes, In your life and in this world, you are sadly mistaken because God is a God who is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. He is touched by that. He is moved by that. He sees all that we are dealing with, but he has to hold that horror in because he's working on everybody's big picture today. I want to tie it just a little bit more, just a little bit, I want to do that with you at the front. So can I ask you, if you'll stand and come to the front. And if you're a first-time attender, we like to close around front with a final song and a final prayer. And if you're comfortable joining us up here, we'd love to have you join us. So please come, if you will. I want everybody to take maybe one more step forward and we'll get everybody out of the aisle this morning so everybody's kind of closed. Thank you, thank you. Okay, listen. This might not have been the sermon you were looking for when you were thinking about suffering. You're going to, you're going to ask, what, what, what did you tell us about suffering today? Did you say all those questions? We have all those questions. I mean, one sermon can't do it. You get that? You get that? God isn't interested in a Q&A session with you. He's not interested. God doesn't want to be interviewed. He's not, he doesn't want to stand up here and you throw questions at him and he throws answers. That's, that's not what God wants. God, God doesn't want a press conference. God wants relationship. That's why you, you don't get all the answers in a little, you can't, you can't, I don't want a Q&A session with God. I want a relationship. I, I want to know more. I want to understand more. He sees things I don't see, knows things I don't know, understands things I don't understand. So I want a relationship with him. I don't want a little quick pad answer from God. Not today, not something, you know, that's what I think a lot of us do. It's like, we, we, you might even treat that believe Iwantobelievebut.com website like a Q&A thing, like I can throw my question out there and show up on Sunday, pastor's going to preach it, and I'm going to go home and say, that sounded good, pastor. But you know what you need more than that is you need, you need the relationship with God. So it, this is why I'm telling you this, is, is I'm a man, and I can't answer all of this in the 30-minute sermon, but God doesn't want to. God doesn't want you to have all your answers right now and go home. He wants relationship with you. So here's what I, I, I want to ask you. I want to ask you to keep coming. We've got a few more weeks than this. Keep coming. And let's learn a little bit more. Let's go a little bit deeper. Let's, let's, let's get more of our answers solved. Let's get our focus even better where we're not asking why, but we're asking how. And we're asking who. Let's, let's, let's keep going deeper. Okay. And, and and I know, so, so it's kind of like a lot of the, a lot of that still out there that we don't know a lot of stuff. Let me give, let me give you something we do know. We know that God has already provided for everything we need. Even last week was Easter. and, and, And you know what happened the night before Easter? He was beaten on his back. Word of God says so that you could be healed. So you might know about him dying on the cross for your sin, but it says also he was beaten on his back for your healing. And then he tells us what to do. You want an answer? I'll give you an answer. If I'm sick in body, what do I do? Okay, James chapter five, verse 14. Are are any of you sick? Anyone sick here? Then call for the elders of the church. Go to our scripture right here. Go to our scripture, Brad. Scripture, please. Uh, Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you. Here they are. Prayer team is right here, ready to go. Prayer team is right here. They're ready to pray for you, anxious to pray. And you say, I, "What do I do?" I'm sick. There it is. Now that's black and white. That's question and answer. That's right there. You know, it's ready. Ready. You're sick and body. It's time to come pray. But you know, the chapter before that, he talks about all of our needs. Not just not just healing. He talks about all our needs. You you want this. You want this, and you don't have it. And you want it so bad, you're willing to fight somebody for it. That's that's what. It, that's a paraphrase. But in James chapter four, that's what he, that's what he's saying. And in verse two, what does he say? Yet you don't have what you want. You know why? You want a why answer. I'm going to give you one why answer today. It's right there. The reason you don't have what you want is because you haven't yet asked God for it. So I implore you today, if you have a need come let the prayer team pray for you. They are anxious to pray for you. You're looking for an answer, there's your answer. You need something from God. You need need a financial miracle. You need a job, a better job, just a different job. You know, you got some situation, somebody in your family is just walking a bad path or some situation they're creating and you need God to fix that. Whatever it is, he's saying, whatever it is, you don't have it yet because you haven't asked. Come ask, that's what he says, come ask.